2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Miley Meckelberg, and you are going to hear a beautiful testimony from Will Murphy. I love Will Murphy. He is such a spirit-filled dude. So you are going to absolutely love his testimony. And just so you know... On February 14th, Love Reality Tour, also known as LRT, is dropping a brand new website. So keep your eyes on that. And it's ready. To, it's time to start the podcast. It's time to start the podcast. Let's go. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? go back to i want to i want to talk about uh old will for a little bit and yeah. what made old will old will old? because i mean you knew jesus uh-huh. old will knew jesus yeah old yeah, will uh he had salvation old will had a lot of stuff that old that new that new will knows about that old will really didn't know about right that's the thing like old will didn't know he had salvation old will was still trying to actually uh do things to get into salvation like not necessarily believing all of the stuff that you heard in church but still going to churches because you know i you know i wanted to be in that number right i wanted to be mercy uh, you know, when he comes back, uh, I want to be in that number. No, old Will was, uh, yo, I needed you to like me and I needed, uh, I, I needed approval like none other. 
and I needed to be uh, accepted, right? So like if um, if there was somebody in a group of people who like if the whole group liked me, but there was one person, I would go out of my way to make sure that one person actually liked me. Uh, like I would try to get on their good side because for me, acceptance was something how I felt um, that like, that's how I felt I was seen. Right. And so mm-hmm. that was old will. And, and a lot of that fed into the fact that um, I mean, yeah, identity, right. Like in, in the gospel, you can find yourself in Christ. But before that, like, I mean, you try to find yourself in everything else. And so it'll be group of friends. It'll be uh, things that you do. Uh, music for me. Um, got a- So your your identity was was music. Well, what, what was it? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, shoot. My identity, honestly, I didn't have one. <laughs> Let's just be frank. Like, whatever you accepted me as, I would then make then my identity. So then if I, to you, was the funny black guy, that was my identity to you. If I was the eloquent, had something to say or contribute, that was my identity to you. Um, like somewhat of a chameleon, if you will, but then also like, to be honest with you, you can say fake, if you will, right? And it wasn't mm. fake in the sense as if I was trying to be fake like i was genuine mm-hmm. in those interactions but because i didn't know who i was this is how i then interacted with people so like in different groups if you will like i code switch all the time <laughs> like i in in different groups i'm i'm different like i almost sounds like i was paul <laughs> well, without the gospel like <laughs> in this you were all I'm things different. to all people <laughs> right <laughs> but without freedom <laughs> All right. When did so, when was yeah. when do you when how early do you remember doing this? Oh man, as a kid. Like, as yeah, a kid. as a kid. Yeah. Like it's it's all right, it's interesting. So I grew up, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And my hmm. family moved to Orlando when I was eleven. So in Memphis, um it's a beautiful city, but it also has some hardships as well. And I mm-hmm on like the one street that was mm-hmm. great. Like the the, house the one street in Memphis. That was, <laughs> the, that was all right. Okay. Well, it's interesting. So my, my parents, they lived in a house that my grandfather bought and um, he bought that house like in the 1930s, whatever. And so mm-hmm. um, as the neighborhood over time, it changed. Um, that one street still had its original neighbors. So the people who bought their houses early in the 1930s. So predominantly all black neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, but the street over, you know, it was a little bit more, it was a little bit more tough. And we, me and my sister, we grew up from this place called Glenview Park and Glenview Park every Sunday they would have um, like, uh, you know, parking lot pimping, if you will, right? So cars come out, everybody, um, you know, banging their music. And, and But one Sunday, a young lady actually got stabbed to death there. And Mercy. so, like, this is with the park that me and my sister would go play in all the time. And so for us, we knew, like, our neighborhood was a little rough. Uh-huh. But, um, 
yeah, that was just life. And so for us being church school kids, uh-huh. we weren't like the neighborhood kids, if you will. Mm-hmm. So the way that I'm talking now is a product of my parents. My parents would be like, no, you're not bringing that in the house. You, you're not talking like that. And so mm-hmm. when we're out in the streets playing you know, ball with our friends, we had to be a little bit different. And I mean, our friends used to be like, Yo, y'all are proper. <laughs> Why are y'all so proper? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, like, no, this is, I mean, this is how we talk. And so, but I remember quickly though, real quickly though, between church school friends and then neighborhood friends, uh-huh. um, it, it's like, it, it's, it's two different worlds because I mean, they, they ain't going to church. They, you know, they on the streets and they hanging out. And so that's, that's where I learned real quickly, especially there. This is how I am different. Like I go to church, I'm in church all weekends, like Friday night, Saturday Mm -hmm. into Saturday night. And because my parents are musicians, I'm usually with my parents on Sunday mornings too, while they're playing at another church. So I was a church kid, if you will. But then after school, after church school is done Monday through Friday, I'm playing ball with my friends or whatever else. And Mm -hmm. then I'm code switching, if you will. Yeah. In the hood, (laughs) I'm code switching. So would you uh i don't know why i'm interested in this would you swear out in the streets and then when you came home you kind of locked that up or were you still keeping it tight even when you were out in the streets yeah i was keeping it tight out in the streets because this is, i grew up on the one street that if i acted a fool somebody would be calling my parents right so uh-huh. It was really interesting. Like, I mean, and I was still trying to, you know, not necessarily be like my friends, but be with my friends. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I wasn't necessarily all the stupidity that they were doing. So I kept it tight. I wasn't necessarily like, you know, throwing everyone's around it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah. You, you get down to middle school, I guess, what, 11. Yeah. What was that? Sixth fourth grade. grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. Okay. So that's when it starts yeah. getting real. And um, then you're you're just like, I I've got to fit in. I got to get in where I fit in. And so you you started to just be a chameleon in, in many ways, just so you could get that affirmation from people. But so moving from Memphis then to Orlando, that's where, like, like I knew I was doing it as a kid, kind of like purposely, like you know, you're just different in Memphis. But then mm-hmm. in Orlando, I knew I had to do it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. th- this is ha- this is it, right? Because Orlando's different. Like uh, church school down here in is a little bit different from an all black academy in Memphis to mm-hmm. now you're going to Forest Lake Elementary Educational Center, and you know it's predominantly white. And mm-hmm. even my black friends aren't necessarily as black as what I was used to, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, and even though I grew up proper, if you will, mm-hmm. like I had a country accent because growing up in Memphis, you know, we we say words like heel versus hill, like go down the hill. No, we say go down the heel, right? It's so <laughs> those little, those little small things. And so as I'm trying to fit in and figure out groups of people to kind of hang out with, you know, you got your white friends, you got your black friends, you got, uh, your band friends, because I was in a band as well. 
got your your choir friends. You got got them all. So you're different. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm trying to figure out at age 11, like who to be cool with. So I'm cool with the black people because you know you're black. But then I'm like, hey, I'm also cool with the white people too because I'm in band. And that's when William changed to actual Will. Like people called out, can we speak to Will? Oh. Like, and so I, from then on, from sixth grade on, I was no longer William. I became Will. Mercy. So were you popular? Yeah. Did it work? Yeah. Uh, I would say I wasn't like A-list popular, but like I was popular in the sense where, uh, let me back it up. My mom is Avid is famous. <laughs> Like my, my mom was Adventist <laughs> famous. <laughs> and so it's because everybody know who she was and we are her kids that they know us by proxy. Oh, you're, you're Gail and them kids. And like, yeah. And so. And she is like, was she a singer? And that's why she's famous. Dude, Oh my gosh. Uh, my mom is, uh, I, <laughs> I'm making fun, of, but it, it's, it's somewhat serious though. She's Adventist royalty in the sense where, um, she was one of the first few black students to go to Southern and graduate. She was the very first black, uh, student body president at Southern. Um, she was, uh, I don't know, like you can find her songs in hymn books. Um, she's written well over 600, 700 songs. She's performed at the white house. She's, I mean, this I mean, Gail Jones Murphy, right? That is my mom. And so when she got hired at Forest Lake Academy and moved down there, um, the choir at the academy went from having like maybe 25 students to 125 students the next year in choir oh, and then actually getting notoriety and, and fame. And and so people were sending their kids to Forest Lake Academy because they want their, their kids in the choir because of my mom. And so it just so happened if your last name is Murphy, oh, you have to be Gail's kid. And so everybody knew who she was. And so by proxy kind of knew who I was. And so my popularity was stemmed, was based off of her, like not necessarily me also being funny and just like making my own popularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I already had a somewhat of a name built in, if you will. So, and I kind of just used that. Sure. Okay. So you're, you're going through high school. This is effective. Um, Weapons like walk me through living with that and getting your value from that. How was it? Yeah, uh, that's I mean, that's what I, I lived for, if you will, right? Like being accepted. So, um, mm-hmm. I remember like I picked up the drums my sophomore, junior year of high school, and I was really good at it. And I remember getting praise for that. And Mm -hmm. so like, I was like, okay, there's another thing that I can use. Um, My, um, my group that I was in, in for talent show, we won top prize two years in a row. Like, like Mm -hmm. another thing that I got, just, just kind of how I I built my identity, just needed something for people to approve of me. Um, Mm -hmm. Show my talent, if you will. And um, as I was going through high school, like, I mean, yeah, the popularity that I had was all really pretty much, you know, I'm using my mom, but I'm also kind of making a name for myself with my own talent, if you will. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, bouncing from circles to circles from the art crew, 
right? Like I loved art. So I had mm-hmm. all, some art homies, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, art and Van Gogh and whatever else. <laughs> But then also I was a little bit of a nerd and was like, we have the Dragon Ball Z crew, right? So, so now I'm hanging out <laughs> with these people, right? Then, you know, we got the, we got the, you know, the black table, we got the white table, um, just all. Of, and so for me, I found, I found value in bouncing around, like mm. being cool with everybody, not necessarily having beef or not necessarily like, I don't not like this person because um, I do remember, though, like there would be times where those worlds would collide and I would then then choose like, OK, yeah, you know, chill at the black table today. All right. Um, hmm. And yeah, so like there was there was times where it, it would be, for instance, like if, you know, my Dragon Ball Z crew, like. <laughs> it, right? I wouldn't necessarily sit with them at the cafeteria table. But it wasn't like on purpose. Just like, yeah, you know, I gotta kind of at this at this time, my worlds are are colliding. I gotta make a decision. Uh, but if they're the only ones in the cafeteria, of course I'm gonna sit with them because I don't want to sit by myself because I need to be approved, <laughs> right? So, man, that's this is I think we're similar in in some ways because I grew up in Atlanta and I went to an elementary school that was half African American, half other. Mm-hmm. And so I was very comfortable with that school. Just Atlanta's where I grew up. I moved to Kansas City and I'm just, I'm not all white. I'm half white. Um, when I got to college, I got value from not being able to be in one group. Yeah. So I had uh, like two homies that I mentioned, actually three, my boy Polite, my boy Paradise, my boy P- Perky Pile. Yeah. And I would hang out with them but not all at the same time, but mm-hmm. those were my road dogs. And then that you couldn't put me in one group. Oh, I was going to be with the basketball players, or I was going to go over here. or I was going to be with the campus ministries people, or I was going to be with this group and this group and this group, but you can't say that I'm in one group. Right. And I felt really, really good about that. Um, Cause I had not a ton of charisma, but somewhat. Yeah. And, uh, that's what I got. I got a little value from that. Yeah. Is it, it's is, interesting that you say you don't have a ton of charisma. Cause I mean, I mean, the mayor of Liddy city, that's kind of like, yo, you just have tons of, <laughs> right? <laughs> tons of charisma. I, yeah. I would rub people the wrong way, man. I would rub people the wrong way because of basketball. Yeah. Basketball was, um, and I think that's where you and I are a little bit different where I feel like most people liked you. There mm-hmm. was a mixed bag with me. <laughs> there was a mixed bag. But yeah, so so you're um yeah, you go into college. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about about that. Are you yeah. um who are you how did this work with in um in your relationships? Talk to me uh, about that a little bit. Yeah, man. So it was uh so I mean I did the same thing in college. Um uh, just repeating the same patterns that I've known to do, like fit in with every crowd. I mean, being in the gospel choir, being in the regular choir for for college, so the, the collegiate choir and then the gospel choir, playing drums with the gospel choir. But then also um, uh, just when it came to relationships, I was somewhat, if you will, like a late bloomer when it came to mm-hmm. like the whole dating phase and just um, like I'd actually, like I would say maybe, 
So my first girlfriend actually was not until like sophomore, junior year, really of high school. Um, and then, um, so exploring all of that, but when you get into college, how that played out was because I didn't really, well, let me actually back it up. Relationships is going to be a little bit different than actually friendships and being everything to everyone. Relationships are mm-hmm. way different because, um, when it comes to relationships, the one thing that I would say about me was I never explored me. I never knew who I was. And so depth mm-hmm. of emotions or feelings weren't there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if there was something that was challenging, like, because I never knew who I was, like I wouldn't necessarily address it. Um, and so like in a relationship in a girlfriend, boyfriend type relationship, if you will, there was no real depth. Like it was just like, Oh, we like each other, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're hanging out and then we're, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. And then what do we do? What are the normal boyfriend and girlfriend things? Well, like we, we hang out and, you know, may kiss and whatever else, but you just, mm-hmm. so what's next? How does this progress? And so I ne- I didn't actually know how to explore a lot of that because I, I didn't know how I was feeling about it other than like, man, I, I like her a lot, but I don't know why I like her other than like, she's pretty, she's pretty. and she's, she's nice to me. And so she's fun, right? She's fun. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how relationships were. You can say shallow, if you will, because there was not mm-hmm. enough depth that I've explored of me so that when challenges kind of hit, I. So um, I'm and So the kind of the first relationship that was really well extended, that was like getting serious when there mm-hmm. were challenges, that's exactly what I did. Like, you know, um, like, why aren't we spending time together or like, like when it became serious. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to actually then process that. And so I remember one of my homeboys was like, yo, you don't like homegirl? Like, what, what's up? Like, y'all been together for, like, why aren't you hanging with your girlfriend versus playing Halo mm-hmm. with us right now? I'm like, ah, <laughs> man, yeah, man, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just chilling, man. You know, she can wait. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was, it was just this, like, yeah, there was no depth. There was no, and, and I'm not saying that there wasn't depth, it's just I didn't want to explore the depth. Like I didn't want to explore because it felt challenging. It felt difficult. And so I'd rather shut. You didn't understand it, man. Yeah. I, I, I remember in college, I realized that my, my buddy was in love because we would all get back to the dorm. Curfew was 11. Mm-hmm. So me and my other homie, we would get back at 11.15, which is the last time the ladies you could get back. And we would be waiting in my room to play video games with my other homie Uh who was in love with this girl. And he didn't show up till like almost midnight because he was with his girl. And he gets there and we were all dating people. But some reason we wanted to get back to the dorm to play video games and we're just like, there's something different. Yeah. And we didn't like, we didn't know that we didn't really like the girls we were dating that much. Mm-hmm. We were, and it, we, and then to deal with that is very difficult. Yeah. And, and we, and you don't know how. Yeah. And I mean, and I can look back now and be like, I was basically dating at the expense of someone else. 
right? Just because it's mm-hmm. like, man, you know, you don't want to necessarily be lonely while everybody else got their girl. You just sitting there on the couch playing Halo still. Like when you actually want to be with somebody or whatever else, it's kind of like, like I can now look back and be like, yeah, the only reason I was really truly putting myself out there in terms of dating is is because A, I didn't want to be left out, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. B, mm-hmm. when that loneliness is there, you're like, okay, man, I, yeah, I, I don't want to be lonely. So now it's selfish because it's now I don't uh, want yeah. to be this. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it, it was interesting. And there's another layer to it, um, Rich, if, if I can be honest too, or about relationships, and it'll probably segue into my first marriage as well. But like when I say there wasn't depth, um, one of the things that like, and my parents have a very beautiful marriage. They've been married, gosh, 40 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has it been that long? Yeah. Um, God fearing people. I mean, very, very beautiful marriage. Um, but what I saw from my parents was very, it, it's like they powered through. Like if there mm-hmm. was an issue, we didn't know. If there was mm-hmm. uh, emotions or something like we didn't know, um, mm-hmm. and and there's something you got to know about my parents too as well. Like my mom is a very vibrant, outgoing, lovely, lively person. My dad is a chill guy, um, and he this. Well, let me back it up. My dad is a chill guy from the version that I know, because before mm-hmm. Christ, my dad was completely different. But after mm-hmm. Christ, what I knew of mm-hmm. him was this very subdued, very um, low-key person. Um, he was a military guy. He was a little tough on on us, but he was loving. Um, mm-hmm. But he wasn't necessarily the most like affectionate. But yeah, mm-hmm. like he grew up in in West Virginia. He grew up in coal country, and is he number seven, number eight out of eleven kids? So mercy. Right. Uh, so, I mean, my dad, like what he has gone through and been through, like for a black man in this, in America, you know, he didn't have time mm-hmm. to stop and process emotions. So um, a lot of the way that I used to like interact with people was very similar to kind of how my dad interacted with people or at least interacted mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. me. And then when it came to relationships, it was very, like while my parents have a beautiful relationship, what they model to me and my siblings, um, while it's very loving, what I didn't understand was like whatever conversations that they were having behind closed doors, we never got to see. And you shouldn't see it as kids, but we did, mm-hmm. at least for me, I didn't understand how to, to then process difficulty. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, and so when that came into relationships, this is what I mean by depth. Like I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. explore depth because I didn't like, I didn't see depth then modeled in front of me because first of all, as a black man, again, in this country, yo, you don't have time to to process emotions. Like there is a system that has Mm. been built. We can explore that later, but for my dad to have made it from West Virginia to living a life in the world, to being a God fearing man. Yeah. Like, Hmm. yeah so yeah no that's that's super interesting um i 
I'm hearing a lot of similarities between you and me. My, my parents, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful marriage. And we heard them fight maybe once a year. And they would always be like, you know, your, your parents love each other. We're never going to split up or anything. Mm -hmm. So there was some stuff that I didn't know how to do because I'd never seen. Yeah. I'd never seen fighting. So I'd never seen healthy fighting. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd never seen really disagreements. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're out here. Um, and so when, when the going got tough and you're reaching back to figure out how to do it, there wasn't very much there to, to, right. To rely on or to, to look at now, nah, because I was shut. So down. then what like, yeah, would you do? Yeah. That's so, shut down. I was okay. shut down. And so, and this is how, um, like I can understand it now, but this is how, um, like if it became difficult, this is how I then would do. I would shut down. I would, retreat i would kind of back away and mm -hmm. but i would not then ad admit that there was anything wrong right i would necessarily mm. like come to the conclusion like there is then something wrong the other part of it too was i wouldn't also i wouldn't admit that i was also hurt because if i were to admit that i was hurt then i would have to admit then there's a flaw and if i have to admit there's a flaw mm -hmm then that means that me, the person, this identity, brand, whatever I try to build up in terms of being accepted to everybody, there's a kink in that. So I'm mm -hmm. not as then shiny as then I want to portray to everyone. Like I'm not, mm -hmm. everything is great and good. So, um, yeah. And, and so once I kind of retreated and secluded myself, if you will, both mentally and then physically, like just, you know, what, again, so how this played out in the relationship in college was that like, I mean, I don't really remember the difficult circumstances, but it looked like me playing Halo in my room um, for hours on end where, you know, I should have been spending time with my girlfriend, but like mm -hmm. whatever difficulty we were experiencing at the time, it was like, it played out like, yeah, it played out like that. The interesting thing is, though, while I did truly care, I didn't know how to necessarily process everything. Um, mm -hmm. And you'll hear later on that pattern does repeat in my first marriage. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you did you get married with a girl from college that you met at college, high school? Who? Yeah. yeah. How did you end up with this person? So, yeah, um, I married. uh really, really close friend of mine from elementary school, if you will. So we grew up together. Oh, wow. Um, to academy. Uh, we both went to separate colleges, but we always kept in contact. Really good friend. We worked together in high school. We were um, always uh, just always friends. We sang in the same choir. Um, mm. And so when it came to um, us actually getting together, it was, it was really interesting. It was funny because I had broke up with my long-term girlfriend in college and worked at summer camp, Camp Kalakwa. And, mm -hmm. um, and while I was working there with my, before we were even dating when my wife then, mm -hmm. but while I was working there, I was like, Oh, you know what? I've always, we've always been friends. Like this, this should be a natural fit. <laughs> and, 
And so I remember kind of like, hey, you know, let's let's go out. And she's like, yeah, no. Like, no. <laughs> and I was like, huh? huh? You, you don't want to go out with me? <laughs> like, why don't you want to go out with me? Like, I'm Will Murphy. Um, like, yeah. I, I pulled that Mike Lowry. I'm Mike Lowry. Right? I pulled that. <laughs> you tripping. <laughs> Because I mean, again, I'm I'm shiny. I'm I'm pleasant. I'm I'm good. Like I am the Adventist Will Smith, if you will, of black guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> Where and uh, and my wife was white, so like you have to. That's another con. That's another layer too. Yeah, you know, black mm-hmm. and white relationship in the mid two thousands was still somewhat taboo, but um, but yeah. What made it safe was we we have good Christian homes that we came from. We've known each other for so long. And so when I'm like, hey, this seems somewhat natural. She's like, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Because what she mm-hmm. knew about me was, it's like, Will, because you are kind of, you know, wanting to be all things to all people, you are kind of a big flirt as well. You're like, so like the attention that you show to me, you probably are showing to another female as well. It's like, yeah, you you're right. <laughs> but I wouldn't be that way with you because I mean, and she's like, no, I wouldn't, we wouldn't date because you are too special to me. And so if we were mm. to date, this would be it. Like, and I was like, dang, like that, that hit because she was mm. right. Like if we were to date, this would be it. And so, um, so we didn't get together at summer camp. Like, even though I was pursuing her kind of in the background, but it was after summer camp. Well, you know, after summer camp relationships and you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that jazz. We it know was, how it goes. Yeah, it, it was after that where, like, she finally was like, "All right, cool. If we're gonna do this thing, we're gonna do this thing." But she ended up. We were. It's our senior year, so she ended up back at Southern for one more year. I ended up back at Southwestern mm-hmm. for one more year. And we dated long distance for that first year, but we knew that we would be married after we graduate. And so, oh wow! So like, and that's the because I mean, honestly, to tell you, like, Rich, she was one of my best friends. She was one of the people that, yeah, knew, yeah, yeah, like, knew me. So like, even if mm-hmm. I didn't understand me, and like, understand like the depth that I didn't have, like. She knew me. Mm-hmm. She understood it. So, right. Um, so yeah, like, so summer 2005, we, um, was it summer 2005? I can't remember, quite remember the year, but we ended up graduating summer 2005 or spring 2005. We both moved back home to Orlando, Florida. We dated um, for one more year, if you will. And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to get married, but I wasn't mm-hmm. yet ready to be married. And here's mm-hmm. and this is where, because of death and difficulty and not knowing how to process, I knew that I wanted to marry her. But like, this is here's the thing, Rich. Like after I graduated from college, I moved back home with my parents. I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get myself established, and I was like, listen, I just want to kind of get some things underneath me before we actually try to build a life together. Like I don't have anything to give to this. And Mm -hmm. she was like, yeah, I, I understand that, but we'll do this together. And for me, Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to do this on my own. (laughs) Like I I gotta do this. Right. 
And right. that was a source of contention. And so I remember it came to a head. She was like, listen, you got an option. Um, here's the option. Um, we either do this or we don't, but I'm going to be going off to grad school next year. And mm-hmm. this is, I'm, I'm going to be living my life. And I was like, man, Lord, I don't want to lose her. Like I, mm-hmm. like I don't want to be married to her. So um, I ended up proposing and um, we got married in uh, 2006, December, 2006. And then from December, 2006, we moved to Chattanooga, January, 2007. So, and she was in grad school. She was in grad school. And what were you doing to stay busy? I found a job at a hospital working billing accounts. I found Mm -hmm. an hourly job making 11 bucks an hour. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was fun. (laughs) That was fun. So you're going into this and the thing, kind of what I'm thinking about right now is that I know some people that from the moment they got married, they were like, nah, it was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was a bad idea on the day. But I think that's too simple because the truth is that there's nothing written in stone about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing written in stone. We have choices. We have decisions. And like my wife and I have had a rough marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. But I knew that she was, I knew, I I knew, I didn't know very much, but I knew it was a great idea that we should get married. Mm-hmm. I knew I was crazy about her and she was crazy about me. So it's, it's too easy for, like, I guess there's some people that like from the jump are like, no, this is not, this is not it. Yeah. Uh, but it, from what I've, from how we've talked before, that doesn't seem to be your experience. Yeah. Um, nah. What what happened? What what started happening? And you can tell me as much or as as little as you want. This is all like, I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah. No. So I mean, it's up and, to you. <laughs> so yes and no in terms of it being a bad idea and not a bad idea, if you will. Right. So here's this is why I can say it's a bad idea because yeah, again, when you have somebody who's not walking in freedom or or doesn't know who they are within Christ Jesus. You're going to be anything and everything to everyone and not then true to yourself. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's where the bad idea comes from, where it was a good idea is like, yeah, we had so much history. There was a lot, tons of love there. Like our families were so supportive. Our community was so supportive. Like that. I mean, mm-hmm. Rich, I got to say one thing in terms of it being an inter, uh, interracial relationship, a marriage. Um, yeah. Our communities were very supportive. We had two good families, you know, coming from, an Adventist home. Um, and so the union that we, you know, were coming into a lot of people agreed with, cause it's like, man, y'all fit. And, um, and, and youngness kind of still had a, a part to play with it. But again, since I didn't know who I was in Christ Jesus, like the difficulty that I experienced was like, I didn't know how to then process being husband and William. Right. I didn't know how to process that because, yeah. Okay. 
if you're if you're just listening to this, you've never met Will. You would think that you don't know who Jesus is at all. Yeah, but that's not true. Uh-uh. What was your relationship with Jesus at this point? Like, what? It, talk to me about that. Like, because you you believed in him, uh-huh. but how far did that go? Because like, if your parents are listening to this and they raised you to fear God, and 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 so if they're and I I get that when people come into freedom Mm -hmm. then they look back and they're like what did i really believe or you know so like i i it's it would be unfair to your parents to be like i didn't know jesus at all (laughs) you did know jesus but there was some stuff that you didn't know what did you know like that was a long question that no like i mean i knew the bible stories and so i mean i'm not trying to say like i didn't know jesus but like the experiences that i've had for jesus um, and I'm not downplaying it, but like I would call them summer camp highs, right? Like if there was a really mm. true experience that I had with him, it was because there was something that miraculous happened, but it was like, oh, this is supposed to, because we prayed for this specific thing or some sort of breakthrough, summer camp highs. And it wasn't then a real experiential thing for me because the way that I processed Jesus was the way that I then like how I interacted with Jesus was more or less like Jesus Christ died for my sins, right? Mm-hmm. He died for my sins. He didn't die for, for will. He died for my sins. So hmm. um, I would then just in terms of a relationship with Jesus, it, re- it was very much like, I appreciate you, bro. Like dab him up. And then like, all right, I'm out <laughs> because hmm. what I understood <laughs> him to be was this good guy. Like, but I wasn't good. So like, hmm. I appreciate you doing this for me. I'm going to just chill in the back. No, 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 you good, man. I, I know you want me here at the front table. Eh, no, no. And I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't even know that he wanted me at the front table. How I processed Jesus was literally like, here's the banquet. Jesus is at the front of the table. He invited me to the banquet. I'm just happy to be at the banquet, but I'm going to sit in the back near the exit door. Because, uh, yeah, because there was, you know, there was still porn in my life and there was still... Mm-hmm. Um, whatever else, like just, it, yeah, there was still that part of my life. So how I processed Jesus wasn't necessarily like, I be- didn't believe in him. I believed him. I just didn't believe in him and what he had accomplished, completely accomplished. Like your, ma- your life wasn't matching up with the sacrifice that he paid. And so you're like a little uncomfortable to own all of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Was that, is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, Rich, like t- there was times where like, I mean, we grew, I mean, I'm fourth generation of this mug, right? Fourth generation. And so <laughs> what I've seen, I'm looking at, I'm looking at lives lived. And I'm like, how real is this thing? Like there was mm-hmm. doubts at times where it's not like necessarily, I did not not believe in Jesus, but what I didn't believe in was the system that we created to get to Jesus. Hmm. And that for a long time was like, it was like, well, I don't want to be out. I don't want to be out the banquet, but I I necessarily don't want to participate in this dance. All right. Hmm. So while everybody's dancing, whatever y'all, whatever tune this is, let me just, let me just hang out. Let me just sit back at my banquet table in the back. Because, yeah. Mm. So it was just, that's kind of how I processed a lot of it. But 
and and here's a, oh man, here's a funny thing too. Like the rules part of it too is how I processed a lot of it. Process Jesus. Like the rules part of it. Like and we talked about it today at the Bible study. Like, I don't know if you grew up with hearing oh, it was last night, hearing that uh if you went to the movie theater, your angel's not going in in there with you. I don't know if you heard that one. Um or Christian's mom was just preaching about that today. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the video. She was preaching in Spanish, but she was talking about that. And she's like, it's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Like it was the behavioral part. Let me just just keep it short. It's the behavioral part of it that. And so like I, I did the behavior, but I didn't believe in the behavior. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if that makes sense, I don't know if it does, but yeah. So how did you feel about your friends who were, very outspoken about their spirituality and how much they loved God. With uh, that, were you able to fit in with that group or were you like, y'all are kind of different? So it was, that's a really interesting question because the ones that I knew who were really truly outspoken about God, like, I'm like, man, y'all fake. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Like, because I'm so used to seeing people do church and religion that I wasn't necessarily used to seeing people do Christ. So I really understood religion and I understood, um, um, I don't know. I understood performance, if you will. Um, Hmm. I understood it very well because I mean, I did it right. Like if I'm playing drums at church, you know, the song was good. And, you know, I may have felt it a little bit like, Oh man, brother, you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you really play those drums today. I'm like, God, you know, God, God be praised. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right that, that's what I would, it was. And so, but then while I may have wanted that to be real, what I also understood was the way that I didn't again, process Jesus was that, if I'm not good to be in his presence, what makes y'all think y'all good to be in his presence too? Like we in the same boat together. Mm-hmm. We are all sinners saved by grace. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, it was just, it was a very, I mean, and honestly, I didn't even know that I was processing this way, but what I did do was like, I didn't necessarily believe how people would be so super emotional or, and it may be a product of our upbringing, but like, I just didn't believe the emotion behind it. Um, hmm. And, and let me give you a little bit more context to it. So my Christian circle goes very broad. Again, my parents were musicians. So we were in everybody's churches on Sunday morning. Like my mom played for church of God in Christ. She's played for um, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic. She's played for everybody. So young ages, we were going to everybody's churches. Cause we had to be there with my parents. Like, you know, if nobody could watch us, oh, we're sitting there on the pew watching my mom and dad play. Uh, my dad played the bass. My mom played the piano. And so so we've seen every denomination kind of, if you will, and their right. faith and how they distribute, um, um, demonstrated rather their faith. And so the real showing of hands and like really outward, like I'm like, OK, uh, like Jesus don't necessarily move me that way, but OK. But then I would see those same people and I'm like, I don't necessarily look like what you have. So. I processed all of that 
in such a way where it's like, yeah, Jesus is personal to, to me, but I don't necessarily have this thing where I want to be super close to him because if he's that good, I'm just this dirty sinner. So then therefore I still want to be in that number. I'll hang out at the banquet. Mm -hmm. I'll do the rules. I'll follow the instructions, but I don't think I really want to get to know him in such a way where, mm. because the people who seem to really truly know Jesus, I don't know if you heard, I don't want to kind of say it because it was kind of making fun of them back in the day, but we used to call these people granola. Right. I didn't want to be <laughs> granola. I didn't want to be. that means somebody who's like, really into er, like a hipster earthy person i think that's what they call people that are maybe i'm wrong about that my uh, wife you know, bible, something like the bible thumping like super like you know just like i didn't want to be that because they just seemed as if they like the way that they love live in reality yeah i don't, <laughs> the, the way, I don't know the way that they seem to just process jesus was very super rule driven like I was abiding by the rules. I was not trying to necessarily do every rule. I was not trying to do Leviticus. <laughs> okay. So take me back to your first couple of years of marriage. You're establishing your identity. What What are you finding out? Um, yeah. First couple of years of marriage, um, honeymoon ish. Like we loved each other very, very much. Um, but again, I would say the depth of me not being able to process difficulty was very present. So any difficulty that we would had, I would shut down. And the other thing that was again, like, so yeah, when there was difficulty, I felt like it was a rejection of me. And so when I would then seclude myself and become a recluse, um, the thing that then would almost actually kind of feel like acceptance was the porn, right? And so it would be like, we're having this issue. We're having an argument. We're not necessarily being intimate. Well, all right, here's porn. Um, mm -hmm. And so then the other side of that, what it looked like was it made her feel as if then I didn't love her because I wasn't necessarily willing to confront the difficulty, but then also it almost seemed as if I was not interested in her. And so mm -hmm. um, the first couple of years, uh, it I don't think we really truly addressed all of that, but like it was present from the beginning. It was very present mm -hmm. from the beginning of our relationship um, in our marriage. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of the first couple of years of our relationship. Yeah. So then as you're moving on in this thing, how, how is your, how's your life changing? And, and, um, was your relationship with God changing or was it just becoming more of a background thing because now you're dealing with real life? Yeah, it, it changed and it became a background thing too. Cause there was something else that was happening in our marriage too, was um, we weren't vibing necessarily with church, if you will. Mm. Like there was something that was happening um, for both of us, but um, we weren't necessarily vibing with church. And as, um, you know, I wanted to go to church. I love playing drums, but I was not necessarily vibing with it. Was just, it wasn't 
like he wasn't real to me, right? And as that was happening, mm-hmm. that actually became a little dis uh, a, a disconnect between me and my wife at the time. It was um, like even though we were having this disconnect with church, I'm still wanting to necessarily go because it's like mm-hmm. this now. I like I find my acceptance and approval in playing drums and being still part of this community, but not necessarily want to be a part of this community. But this is this is where I'm actually kind of felt as if I'm mm-hmm. seen there. But then um, mm-hmm. my wife was like, no, like, like I'm there's, there was some growth that was happening, but it was also growth then away from, mm. from what we were used to. And um, that became a source of contention because I was like, you know, we should still be going to church and like, okay, yeah, you can go. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and credit to her because what I believe she was doing was actually discovering for herself what was then true for her. And she's like, this wasn't mm-hmm. like what we were experiencing in the church community for us. While we had some really, really good friends that we love dearly, um, we weren't experiencing that. Yeah, we just weren't experiencing that thing, that faith thing, if you will, like that growth that, mm-hmm. you know, as a believer, you would want to experience if you're part of a church community. And so that was um, a little difficult part. So for me and God, like there wasn't really a true, like everyday spending time in his word, praying every day. It was just more or less like, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. So what it sounds like you're saying is y'all were playing church and you were cool to keep on playing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm not sure if I want to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And it happened around the the time we had our first child. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I knew as a parent, I was like, yeah, we know we'll continue to kind of take our kids to church. Um, and we did that for a little bit, but it was like, listen, I'm not trying to be in church every Saturday. Or are you sitting mm. on the drums playing the drums and me sitting in the audience holding our child? Like, this isn't fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but you know, they need me to play the drums. Well, okay. Well you do it. I'll stay at home. <laughs> and yeah. So it, it, that, that was something that was happening and I, it became frustrating for me because I was like, well, you know, what's it going to look like <laughs> Yeah. right now? I'm worried about appearances. So, yeah. So then what, then uh, what happened? What, what um, happened after that? What happened after that was like the the tension in our marriage was definitely still there, and it grew further. We were growing further apart. Um, again, not processing things and and shutting down, and um, not necessarily being real. As that was happening, we were actually having arguments and and fights um, within our relationship. And as these arguments and fights would happen. Um, we became further and further apart, but knew that we were not going to get divorced. Right. Because this would be very detrimental to our family, detrimental to each other. Like that, like we, we live in Chattanooga. It's embarrassing. Right. Um, And so we actually ended up getting pregnant with our second child and um, we were already struggling. Mm. 
we were already struggling with our second child. And while we were excited and happy to, to have a second child, cause we knew we wanted, uh, a boy and a girl, which is what we exactly got. Um, we were struggling. And hmm. one of the things that we were struggling with was that the way that we process faith for me, I was like, I'm still do this thing. Even if for me, I don't necessarily believe it. I'm still do it. And she was like, I'm not going to be fake. I just can't. I'm not going to. I'm I, I All right. And and shout out to her, man. Kudos. Kudos for that. But that was something I didn't know how to process. And then the other part of it, again, going back to I didn't know how to process being William. I didn't know how to process being a husband. Now I didn't know how to process being a father. Hmm. Uh, because each of these identities that I have now taken on. Like, I didn't know which one to then feed. <laughs> like, I didn't, like, which one do I nurture? Um, also, let me, I forgot this. What's happening in the background too was my career stagnant. Mm. Like, I was still working an hourly job at the hospital. I got a pay raise up to like 13 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, this is not enough to support a family. Um, apply for a position, got passed over a couple times. I remember being super, super frustrated that like my career isn't taking off. Um, because actually before we got married, my career at Florida hospital, even though we were starting, um, I had a lot of connects. I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of people who worked at Florida hospital who mm -hmm. were like, you know, listen, you know, hang out for a couple of years and we'll move you up. And, mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't the case in Chattanooga. Like, it's like you had to earn your way and it was, it was tough. And so there, I was not getting the jobs that I wanted to get. Like I was struggling to provide as a provider. Um, I would take a couple Sunday jobs uh, to play drums on a weekend just to bring in some extra income. And so I wasn't in the, like, literally I would be on the drums Friday night, Sabbath morning, mm. um, then all day Sunday. And so I wasn't necessarily present at home on the weekends where you would want to spend time with your family. I wasn't there. Right. So, um, so yeah. The, and so the identity of provider or whatever that was, that was, was a struggle as well. So, um, that was all in the background playing and it was really taking its hold on both of us in our marriage. So, Divorce in your mind was not an option. Yeah. Um, that's not. So then the embarrassment of all that, and then you're like, what ended up happening to like towards the end there where you were just resigned to, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, to kind of speed up the story, because someone's listening, it's like, Will, where are you going with this story? Uh, I don't know, Holy Spirit, you tell me where to go. <laughs> so, I mean, but to kind of, kind of wrap up the that part of the story was where it came to a head where we were, and this is still in Tennessee, we were desperately struggling with our relationship. And we, we talked about, listen, something has to change. We don't know what, but um, I actually had a friend who back in Florida, 
um, happened to see my mom, ran into her, was like, hey, what's Will doing? And he's like, oh, he's in Chattanooga. He's like, well, you know, I'm this, um, you know, I, I run this department here at Florida Hospital. Tell him to give me a call. So I actually gave him a call, sent him my resume, and he did me a solid. He was like, listen, I'm going to do you a solid. You know, I'm going to send your resume to some people over here. Mm. Um, I'm not going to tell them to hire you, but if they want to hire you, they can't. And so I remember um, I came down for my 15th high my 15th year high school reunion. And mm. it just so happened that they set up an interview. So we came from Chattanooga, came down to Florida and interviewed on a Friday afternoon. And by the time I left the interview, 20 minutes later, they gave me a call and they were like, listen, we want to hire you as assistant manager. I was like, oh, bet. Like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. So, um, so the identity of being a provider, I was like, oh, this is, this is great because my career is not popping off in Chattanooga. It can pop off here in Florida. And so we, we discussed it and, and credit to her, man, I, I had to give her this man. Like one of the things that was very difficult was like, I mean, the home that we built, uh, together, she loved that home. Um, but she was willing to give it up. So she's like, listen. I know this is going to be something for you. This will probably help you go forward in your career. Let's do this. The other thing that she was also doing was pursuing, um, like she was very uh, established already in her career and also excelling in her career hmm. to the point where there were some opportunities for her in Chattanooga. But she's like, listen, I'll give this up. Let's get you down there. Let's, this may be the thing that then turns our marriage. Mm-hmm. It was not the thing. But uh, we both, <laughs> Decided to, I mean, we sold the house. Uh, we moved back to Florida. And man, oof, oof, bruh, rough, rough. Because we moved into her mother's two bedroom, two bath condo. And I, it needed some work. Um, but the two kids in there, it was small, it was cramped. We sold all of our stuff. Um, and the Florida housing market down here was crazy. So we couldn't necessarily afford a house down here in Florida. We're like, well, let's just stay here for a little bit and we'll save some money. Man, that was a mistake <laughs> because um, that was the place that she actually, well, I don't want to divulge all that because of the, but that was the place where there was still hurt there for her. And there were still, but we moved there for our family. Maybe this would have been a leg up. It wasn't necessarily yeah. that for us. It was a lot of, lot of um, like resentment on both parts. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so we get down to Florida. Um, we're hoping that it'll work for the first year. We It works. We moved in 2015 for the first year. It works. We're like, okay, we can do this. Um, but again, I'm not processing how unhappy she is. And we, and I didn't process. Here's another thing, Rick, uh, Rich. I didn't process how checked out I was. Like I was Mercy. checked out. Um, I didn't know how to process that. And so as I'm checked out in this marriage already, and I was checked out for years, um, man, I'm forgetting this one detail because I secluded myself whenever something became difficult and I thought it was a crack in the shiny armor and I would become a recluse, like depression was set in or anxiety was set in. But I didn't know, I didn't know that, especially as a black man, we don't, we don't process anxiety and depression and all these other things. And so like, I remember actually having, um, I felt like it was a heart attack, like my tingling in my arm and like my heart beating super fast and like going to the emergency room, you know, like, yeah, nope, not a heart attack. Um, 
but we think you should go see a therapist. I was like, nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is back in Chattanooga. Right. And so, um, it was a panic so, attack. Yeah, it was a panic attack. It was a panic attack. And, but the stress of all of the, the, the stress of the marriage, the stress in being Chattanooga, not being able to provide for my family, all that, it, it looked like a heart attack. It, it showed right. up as a heart attack. It was really a panic attack. Um, we get to Florida. We do the first year. We do it okay. We barely survive. But because I'm so checked out, like, I'm so checked out rich that when it came to being loving in, in the mm. relationship, I wasn't loving. Mm. Right. When it came to being like, just, I was a nice guy and I'm using the word nice in such a like derogatory manner. Like I was a nice guy, like mm. by all accounts, I'm, I was nice, but I was not loving. Um, like I was, I was not unkind, but I wasn't necessarily kind. Right. Because like I'm living for me, I, I, I'm, I'm selfish in, in this thing. And so as I'm doing this marriage, that's really, truly on the rocks, I'm not addressing the issues that were there where we were not good. We were not good. Did you have a plan to get out of it and meaning get out of it, like make it better? Or were you just like, since you were so checked, you're just like, I'm checked out. No, this well, and you probably didn't admit that you were checked out to right. yourself. I didn't. I, mm -mm. Well, I didn't admit it. So the plan was we're just going to do this for the rest of our life. We said to have the Okay, I like it. Plan. Yeah, um, but to kind of fast forward because you know I want somebody to be like, man, this is a long podcast. It's not going anywhere. Um, to kind of fast forward to kind of get to where we decide to actually separate. This is what happened. So as I'm moving in my career moving further up in my career. Like I actually got promoted as like, I started as a assistant manager. I got promoted to a manager in less than a year. Like I'm, I'm blazing trails. Like I'm the uh -huh. next hot thing, if you will. Uh -huh. um, there was some change in leadership. And as there was the change new in Pharaoh leadership. Did not know, Will. The new <laughs> Pharaoh did not know, Will. <laughs> did not know. He did not know. Um, the difficulty of our marriage was coming to a head at the very same time that there was a change in leadership in the office. And so now, as I'm now trying to perform at work, I'm not being necessarily husband at, at home, bro. Like I would go to, to the office at 6 AM, leave like at 6 or 7 PM, eat dinner, maybe kiss my babies, put them to bed, but then stay up to 11 o'clock at night working. Right. Because now I need this thing to work. We gave up everything to move down to, to Florida. I need this thing to work. So I'm going to put all of my energy into this job. It has to work. Mm. Like I can recognize the marriage isn't going well, but listen, if one thing's going to go well, it's going to be this job. And like, so I'll move up the ladder. We'll get out of this, you know, this condo. I'll, we'll get a bigger house. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. Yeah. That mm. So change the leadership. Our marriage is coming to a head. This is how checked out I was rich. Like, and I, I hate to say it, but this is how checked out I was. Her birthday fell in the middle of the week. And I was like, you know what? We'll just celebrate it on a weekend. Right. So mm. her birthday hits and she comes home from work and I already have the kids, you know, like I don't have no balloons. I don't have no card. 
I don't have no plans to take her out that evening for her birthday. Nothing. I have nothing. Like, this is how checked <laughs> out I, I was. I have <laughs> nothing. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. She was like, yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't love me. He, he's, he truly doesn't love me. And um, as that happened, like, I was like, ooh, that, was, that wasn't good. Like, maybe I should have. So, you know, I tried to patch it up. But that was the straw because not well, she was time. right. Yeah, she was right. And she, you she didn't know she was right because you didn't know what love was, really. No. Because you hadn't been loved. So you were you were trying to be sweet out of an empty bucket, right? I'm trying to be sweet in order to save my behind. <laughs> Like that's the yeah, lit- you didn't love yeah. her, All right? Because I mean, I didn't want to be divorced because you know that's embarrassing. Um, and I know that sounds cold and callous to somebody who's listening, but like what I'm trying to process here again was I'm trying to process William, husband, father, and now this fast track moving manager up the corporate ladder. I'm processing all of this, and I, and Richard, I said this to you before, but I was like. Any identity that you feed, it will then actively get stronger and then kill off every other identity that you have. So as I'm trying Mm -hmm. to then feed my executive management position identity, it is now getting stronger, but then it is actively killing off husband. It is actively killing off father. It is actively actually Mm -hmm. killing off William. I'm losing myself to something that is really, truly not my identity. Like it was, this is what I believe to be my identity. Like I believe myself to be this uh, fun-loving, knows how to communicate, interact with people, knows how to get a team actively involved, knows how to get people to move in a direction and and, and strategize and and get things done. Like I'm moving. That's, that's, that was me. Like, Mm -hmm. and so as I'm becoming this leader, I'm not becoming a good husband. (laughs) Um, So she's done. So a week later, we have this blow up argument. I don't know what the argument was about, but we have this blow up argument. It was about everything. It was about everything. <laughs> but it probably was like about toothpaste. <laughs> like you squeeze more. Like I don't know what it was. But it wasn't really about what it was about. It was about right. your marriage falling apart, right? It was about the marriage falling apart. And so I said something that I thought I would never utter. I was like, you know what? Maybe we should spend some time apart. And she's like, maybe we should. Like, and that was then. The thing that was like, oh, snap. Yo, we are really, truly in trouble. Right? And so we, from there, decided to do the separation where she stayed in the bedroom. I lived on the couch. We weren't necessarily going to get divorced right away. We just like, listen, we're, we'll see what happens. We need to probably go to therapy. But again, this is me not processing anything because I didn't know. I'm like... I ain't going to therapy. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's happening at work, it got incredibly difficult. Again, change of leadership. So they're not necessarily vibing with, with uh, fast tracking Will. Because <laughs> fast tracking <laughs> Will actually has some kinks in his armor. And he's actually bringing those difficulties in his marriage to work. Like it's showing mm. on my face. And um, I actually remember having this conversation with him. He was like, yo, listen, I remember I, I met you. And I was like, yo, this dude is going places. And I don't know if I'm going to say the same thing <laughs> from when I first Mercy. met him. I was like, yo, bet. Okay. So, I mean, whew, that was tough to hear. Um, <laughs> what, what do you say? 
Shaquille O'Neal was talking to Donovan McNabb the other night, and he was just like, I don't think you're going to be able to take it to the next level. I don't think you're that guy. I think you've plateaued. And, Don, and this is on live TV. And Donovan McNabb is like, don't Donovan, Donovan, uh, whatever he plays for the oh, Utah Mitchell. Jazz. He's just, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, Donovan, yeah. yeah. He's just like, all right. Like, what do you say? You're just like, yeah. someone's crushing your dreams. You're not that dude. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> how, but this is how it's like. It's like, I got to work harder. So as the marriage is falling apart, um, she decides to get, you know, therapy and counseling. She's like, listen, I'm, I'm going to work on this if you're not. But the mm-hmm. thing, what made it more, I guess, concrete in her mind, like this isn't going to last is because he doesn't want to work on this. Like he clearly doesn't want to work on this. Like the offer to go to therapy, he's not doing. And mm-hmm. for me, it was just like, it was embarrassing to go to therapy. It was like, I didn't know how to process any of that, but as I'm really truly trying to hang on to any parts of this identity as moving up the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and as that struggling, like I remember I was working on this project and this project was due by five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and mm-hmm. two o'clock. I'm thinking this project is done. Something happens with it. And I was like, Oh snap, this is not even half to being done. And so now I'm working oh, no. on it and it's like four fifty-five PM and um, it's not even close to being done. Um, it's six o'clock PM. I'm still in the office. He walks over. He's like, yo, where's this thing? And I was like, ah, yeah, I just need one more hour. And so he calls me into this office. Like, yo, early in the week, you told me it was going to be done by five o'clock. Why isn't that not done? He's like, yo, you straight up lied to me. (laughs) And like, bro, dude, like I lost it. I actually ended up crying. And I was like, yo, why am I crying? Like, he was like, all right. What, like, what's going on? I was like, yo, listen, I'm sorry. I don't, uh, like, yo, there's some things happening in the background at home. Um, just, you know, uh, just, I, I, I promise I'll get this done. He was like, listen, I'm gonna tell you the truth. If I didn't know that you were struggling, this is, this is, this is his saving grace. He's like, if I didn't know mm-hmm. you were struggling, I would have thought that you were purposely trying to cheat and lie, but because there's something that's happening, I can say that honestly, like you got a lot going on, but you need to be forthright if you can't get things done. And so, but that was the start, Rich, of the mm-hmm. downward spiral of my career. <laughs> because yeah. what he then saw was somebody who cracked under pressure. And I didn't know it, but because I was like, man, I got to make this thing work. I kept working harder at something that was already being taken away from me. And so Mercy. now- the career is slipping. The marriage is getting ready to end. We decide to, listen, let's move out of your mom's place. Let's just get another apartment. Let's get this this place that's closer to your job. We can maybe go to counseling. I'm saying like we can maybe go to counseling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then within three months of, of us moving out, Rich, I'm telling you, it was the hardest three months of my life hardest three Uh months of my life yeah hardest three months so what was happening at work was i'm still making mistakes at work like constant mistakes at work the marriage like it's over like 
Mercy. And we decided to tell family, like, listen, we're going to get a divorce. And when we tell family, I was not ready to admit to myself that it was over. So I didn't, I didn't know how to string together the words because it was like, I didn't know how to process it. Yeah. Um, and as that was happening, it really, for her, she was like, he doesn't want to work on this thing. And the reality was, I didn't know who I was. Right I didn't on. know who I was. And so nope. work got so difficult, Rich, that I'm working on projects at two o'clock in the morning, going to work by 6 a.m. Mm. And the three months that we were still living together, um, what was happening in the background was that like, we aren't talking or being a family, but we're doing family life together. Like, cause we're mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we got our kids together. We're going to maybe just get through this year, but we already know that it's done. We're already signed a year lease. And so as that's eating at me, mm -hmm. as like, I'm no longer a husband as that identity has now then been buried into the grave. Mm -hmm. And as here's another thing, as the word is getting out in the community, because we grew up here in Orlando, as word is getting out in the community that, oh, Will and, 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 and I'm leaving yeah, yeah, yeah. Next wife. like as they're getting a divorce, like I'm going to church and people are like, hey, Will, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm great. But how are you really doing? Like, bro, I haven't talked to you in 10 years. Like, why are you ask me that question? Because it's making yeah. the Adventist gossip news. And so now, like I'm sitting, I'm embarrassed, I'm, I'm hurt, but I don't know how to process any of that. But at the same time, my job is in jeopardy. Um, the anxiety ramped up, the depression ramped up real big. Dude, like I'm a, I'm a buck 90, like I'm solid 190 pounds. I dropped to 177 pounds. Like mm -hmm. I dropped to about 177 pounds. And so much so that I was not sleeping. I was not, uh, I was barely eating. And this is how the depression set in. Dude, when I say depression set in, like the mental fog, I remember not remembering things. Like just being so dark in my head as if like, yeah, like no wonder she wants a divorce. Like you didn't try. No wonder mm. that your job is, 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 is getting taken away from you. Like, bro, I made a mistake one time at, at work where I really should have been fired, but my boss was like, yeah, listen, I'm gonna tell you, this is what I'm going to, here's God honest truth. You either step down as a manager or I got to fire you. So mm. I now have to be demoted back to assistant manager. Cause I had to step down mm -hmm. and I need to try to keep my job, keep some sort of income. All of this is happening. And this, and it wasn't my thought. I know it wasn't my thought, but this was the very, very first time that I was like, yo, it's better if I'm not here. Mercy. Better if I'm not here. Clearly I'm not living up to anyone's expectations. Not my, my, my soon to be ex-wife, not my job, not like, like, I, and again, I was a decent father. Like I was present, 
but I wasn't present because I put everything into my, my job, everything into it. All right. We're going to need, we're going to need something at the, we're going to need some rainbows here soon. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so uh, you, you lose your job or you just got demoted. I didn't lose my job, but I did get demoted, but I was on the, the last leg. Like there was no more mistakes to be made. None. Um, and then you, you end up getting a divorce then. We end up getting divorced. Uh, we, we separated. It took us a little bit to get divorced, but we were officially separated. I moved out, moved back in with my parents. That was embarrassing for me originally because I was like, man, I got to go back home to my parents to lick my wounds. Um, uh-huh. But my parents were gracious, man. They're loving, just super loving. Like, yeah, come on. Um, here's where the rainbows come in, right? So, yeah, a mutual friend in common, yeah. Jonathan. Like, I would call him. You know, Jonathan, I'm getting a divorce. And he was like, all right, cool. Go listen to some damn over. Uh, <laughs> and uh Jonathan has been one of my boys since college, man. And, and so um he he knows me in a sense where he was like, All right, cool. Well, I hear you. I hear your I hear what you're going through. And that, man, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but at the same time, I'm not gonna give any wiggle room for the fact that you've been living in deception. All right. Like you straight up have been living in deception. You didn't know how to love, you didn't know it, like you were living in deception. So I would call him up like, eh, eh. And he'd be like, yeah, no. Um, what so made you call him up the first time? You just, like you guys kept in touch throughout the years or you're just like, I need yeah. to talk to somebody. Yeah, no, we kept in and, touch throughout the years. Like, I mean, every, you know, every six months or so, every year or so, we would call each other and, you know, he would come up to, when we were living in Chattanooga, he would come, he would you know, chill at the crib, um, came down actually, you know, for my son's, uh, uh, Fifth birthday party. Yeah. So I mean, you know, Jonathan, we, we always kept in touch. Um, but here's the thing. When Jonathan got free, when Jonathan came into the realization of who he was, it was, mm-hmm. I would say is maybe a year before I actually was having the, the the divorce. And so when he came into it, when I was calling him, I was like, yo, me, me and my ex, we're getting, you know, we're about to get divorced. He's like, oh yeah, yeah bump that. Um, like he would, he would speak life into me. But I didn't know how to hear it because I'm living in deception. And so um, the life that he's speaking to me is just going over my head. But then when I was like, oh, it's not working. It was like, yeah, bump that. <laughs> Go listen to some dance. <laughs> um, but as it happened, as I began to kind of uh, listen to, all right, bump that. Let me listen to some Dan Moeller. I'm going to finally listen to him. Um, I would listen to a sermon. And I'm like, huh, this is interesting. I would listen to another sermon. I'm like, this is interesting. And I remember um, listening to several sermons and be like, yo, this stuff is, this, this is gospel. Like this, this is gospel. But here's the thing, Rich, I'm hearing the truth, the truth cut differently. Mm -hmm. The truth really did cut differently, but I wasn't necessarily ready to process it. Like I'm hearing it was just cutting differently. And so um, I'm going back to church. And as I'm experiencing church, um, I'm like, oh, church is whack. <laughs> because what's happening in the background is I'm hearing the truth of the gospel and messages from, from Dan. Um, I'm, you know, Jonathan, you know, had a couple sermons on YouTube. I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm not seeing it at church. I'm like, yo, church is whack. And I got cynical. Like, I legit got cynical of church. 
And then I remember the Holy Spirit being like, yo, Will, why are you going to church? Like, I kind of had this, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. It's like, yo, why are you going to church? It's like, oh, because I have to. Like, I want to be in that number. <laughs> I want to <laughs> be in that number. I want to be in that number. I need, I need to be approved. I need to be accepted. Uh, <laughs> and so um, to fast forward and not belabor this part, but like to, to get to the more rainbows part, as I'm, you know, we get divorced and we remain amicable, like really still good friends um, and everything. Um, but as out of the divorce, I'm going to church. Church ain't really the thing. I, I'm starting kind of to see like there's something that's missing mm-hmm. because the way that, you know, Dan preached, he's super happy about it. And then right. when I called Jonathan, Jonathan talked different. So Rich, mm-hmm. you got to understand, like I knew Jonathan from back in the day. We like got a, we had a Christian rap group back in college, right? We, <laughs> we, we used to, you know, we hung. And so uh, that was my boy. And so my boy is different. Like he mad different. different. He's, he's just different, different. And it happened to be the summer of 2019 when I was going up to Chattanooga to go visit some friends. And he was there that weekend as well, visiting his sister. And we just have to link up. He was like, yeah, let's go get some food for like two hours. And this dude is just rattling, rattling things off in spirit. And I'm looking at this dude. Like I'm looking at him sideways. Like, yo, this dude is different. This dude is real different. And, and you got to act like you, you, like you're vibing with what he's saying. Cause you're a yeah, friend. Uh-huh. You want to vibe with what he's saying. But you're like, how is this like, applying to my life? I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, a- yeah, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, yeah, yeah. Because what's happening was, like, I actually was vibing with what he was saying, but it was not, I haven't, I haven't been convicted of it just yet. So I know what truth was, I know what it sounded like, but it wasn't mm-hmm. yet true then for me. Right. And so uh, we there, we had this place, uh, I forgot the name of the place. I go to the bathroom and I hear this voice I've never, like... Uh, I don't think I've ever really truly can say it was the Holy Spirit like this, but his voice is like, yo, get that man. I forgot how much. She's like, get that man a couple hundred dollars. It's like, wow, what? Give Jonathan oh. a couple hundred dollars? Yeah. I was like, wow, why? Why am I getting this man? So like, that didn't make no sense to me. Did not make any sense to me. And so this is Friday. Jonathan was like, yo, you want to drive down to Atlanta? Uh, I was like, for what? He's like, for a Bible study. So we was like, yeah, let's go. So we drove from Chattanooga down to Atlanta, and it was a Bible study for Ed and Jay. All right? So oh, this mercy. is where the rainbows come in. All right? So on the way to Atlanta, Jonathan's telling me this crazy story about this couple, and it just so happened to be Ed and Jay. I'm like, yo, I didn't know it was them, but we get there. So we we at this Bible study. Um, Ed actually walks in late, and so Ed starts to tell me his story, and I was like, oh, Jonathan, you just told me the story. And then Ed was telling me everything. And I'm looking at Ed like he's crazy because he's like free. Like, I don't know how yeah, to explain. Yeah, he's yeah. just telling me everything, every detail about his life on a super uber free. Like, bro, why are you telling me this stuff? Like, this is stuff you don't tell anybody ever. Right? Why are you telling me? Why are you telling me this stuff? And so I remember one of the questions Ed asked, like, yo, so are you free? I was like, yeah, I think I'm free tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand that question. All right, I think I'm free tomorrow. Uh, and so, but that was the catalyst 
that was started the the wheel spinning. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, Jonathan is different. Ed, I didn't really know Ed from. I, I remember running to him back in Chattanooga when he was, I think, uh, with Jayla, and they visited, or they were there for a little bit. But mm-hmm. I didn't know him. But whoever yeah. he was before, that ain't the same dude. Like this dude is. And they told me their testimony and like that weighed on me all summer because we went to, it was, it was summer 2019 that weighed on me. And then Jonathan was like, yo, come to me in Portland and um, in November, come play drums with me. I was like, yo, bet. Yeah, I'll be there. Bought a ticket and everything. And so I remember as that was resonating with me, like, oh, I'm missing something. Like I hear the truth, but I don't have what they have. Like, I really, truly don't have what they have. Like, I'm going to church. Uh, I I mean, I, I, I'm i leading Bible study at, at church. I, I'm doing the Christian thing, but I, I'm not I'm not them, right? And it was becoming frustrating because I was like, I don't know what it is or how to get this, right? It became frustrating. I was like, how do I get this? Like, what, what must I do to be saved, right? Um, <laughs> I want to be in that number. I want to be in that number. And Rich, I promise you, um, I was watching one of uh, sermons John had put up. I think it was it was Wave One PVC. I mm-hmm. I went through it. I watched it on my own. And I was like, "Yo, this dude is on stage talking about how he used to be a hundred percent slaved to his lust, and he's no longer that way. And he's he's talking about just." just giving up like everything that he was not designed to be. He just gave that up. And that mm. hit. And of course the prodigal son mm. always hits for everybody. And that hit for me too. But I remember being like, I, I have, I have to, I have to give up. Like I remember being in my bed laying and I prayed this prayer. I was like, God Give me a heart like David, a heart that then seeks after you. Like, because I was just done with me. I was done with myself. Like, I didn't want to do this anymore. Like, I was, I was done Mm -hmm. trying to fix myself because I went to therapy after the divorce. I went, you know, I dated a couple of people after after the divorce and and tried to kind of rebound and and try to find my identity everywhere else. Like, I, I did all of that, and I remember just sitting there, just praying that prayer. And dude, Rich, when I say God met me on that bed, like my dude met me on the bed. Like, let me back it up just a hair. I used to be prideful playing the drums. I remember um, God kind of actually gave me this little vision of me playing the drums. He was like, yo, you get really prideful playing the drums. It's like, next time you play the drums, I, I want you to play before me. And so... Mm. um like worship while you're playing. And so the, the idea is when I would play the drums, I would just imagine God being on his throne, just sitting there. And whenever I'm playing the drums, if I was worshiping, God would tap his foot. This is how I see it in my head. Like God would just tap his foot. I can't see his face. I just see this long train of his robe and his giant foot in his sandal. And anytime, you know, God was seeing me worship, he was, he was just tapping his foot. And then, like when I just would let loose and just full reckless abandon, like he would actually stand like, cause it was good for God. 
And I remember when I said, God, give me a heart like David, a heart that then seeks after you. Like he brought my mind back to this image of him. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, mm-hmm. God, what am I doing on the drums? I ain't on the drums. I'm in my bed right now. And this is him. This is his voice. This is how it sounded to me. I, it sounded, I heard it in my head. It wasn't an audible voice, but he goes, this is where we will meet. Hmm. I was like, on the drums? And bro, <laughs> I wept. Like, newborn out the womb, baby wept. Like, because there was something that happened. Like, there was this weight that then dropped off of me. Like, I, like I'm tearing up now. Like, I remember the weight falling off of me. Like, I remember it falling off. And I remember how just, like, intimate it was. I remember how mm. how close it was. And I remember the fact that I wasn't even playing the drums in my mind. I In my mind's eye, I was just sitting here on the drums, and God was pleased with me. He was like, well, me right here. Mercy. And as that became alive for me, dude, I would open up my Bible and then scripture will pop off the page as if like, I've never read it before. Mm. I would just see things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is where I fit in the story. Like this is, this is me. So you're now starting to understand that your son. hundred percent. And son. you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened to be a couple weeks before Portland. Like I got free on my own, just me and God, I got free and I get up to Portland and I'm walking in spirit. I didn't really know how to call it spirit walking in freedom. I didn't know how to call it there, but I remember being in Portland and uh, God will give me words of knowledge to people and be like, go talk to this person. Like, I don't know who this person is. And all of a sudden I'm just, yo, the, the, the depression, anxiety that you're feeling like you don't got to carry that or like the approval that you need from somebody else, like, you know, you find your approval and worth by something. Like I'm, I'm giving spot on things. And I'm like, this has never happened to me. Like, I don't do this. I'm Adventist. <laughs> right. So this was, how long was this after you really started to understand this message that, because I, I thought you were on our group chat in September, because that's when I got on there. Yeah, I was not on the group chat in September. I don't think I got on until, uh, I don't know. I don't remember when I got on the group chat. It was after Portland, though. It was after Portland. Because we just experienced this thing with Morgan and Tyler, which if you've been listening to the podcast, it's the first couple of episodes. You know what happened there. And then um, it's just a bunch of people just receiving truth. Um, what was the main truth that brought you to that bed to you're like, okay, I received this truth. What what was the truth that you were receiving? Oh, the truth was simply this, like he approved of me. Long time ago. Like when I said the weight fell off, the weight was all these other identities that I was trying to carry all these other things that I was trying to be, to be accepted and then approved by you or anybody else. Like that was the weight that was falling off. Like I was so free from myself that like, I was just like, when, it, when I got up to Portland, like rich, I promise you, I'm so, 
I'm fourth generation Adventist. So the whole display of emotions and lifting of hands wasn't a thing for us. I remember being in Portland, like, yeah, I'm free, free hands up. Like, I mean, I'm worshiping on my Uber high level because I, there was no weight. Like the words and songs were real to me. Like the gospel, like was real to me. So like, I didn't need you to be like, yo, Will, calm down. Like you, you looking like that weird dude. Like, not, nope, I'm good. Like it was real for me. Like, and here's another thing. I ain't used to really necessarily cry. Dude, I cry on the drop of a dime now. I, I just like I, I'm on the Eddie, I'm on the Eddie level now. <laughs> so you're close. Yeah. But yeah, so look, but that's that was the truth for me. He's like, yo, he sees me. He knows me specifically by name. And the thing that he knows about me, like he completely loves me like he he's like yo this dude doesn't have to perform for me like i don't have to play the drums for god hmm. like i don't have to sit there and, and try to make his tap his foot tap anymore i don't have to like i would have to do that like like i need to yeah no i don't need to do anything i just have to be and so that was the truth that then resonated for me and it became alive for me i became free of myself so, so every other I, identity I, yeah you're looking back. When is it that you started saying, oh, old Will was like this? When when was there like a clear distinction? Like, or did you even have that experience where you're like, oh, old Will didn't love his wife. Old Will was checked out. Old, Did you have an experience where you were able to look back and say, oh, that cat didn't understand or that cat was ignorant or like, talk to me about that. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily had that experience as like, there was a one specific moment was like, oh, Will was like this and checked out. I just knew that it, like, as I became, the gospel came, became alive to me and I understood what love really truly was. Like when I did look back, if there were times to look back, I could like, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if there was one specific moment, but I would say that like, um, like, when it came to the idea of love in itself, mm -hmm. because I, I've received the most abundant love and I have so much love to give to anyone and then everyone, it was no longer than the idea that I have to uh, get love poured into me by someone. Hmm. Like I didn't need someone else to then pour into me. Like I get poured into him. He, he, I mean, I get poured into by him. And so therefore I have so much love. So yeah, that's how it kind of, I process it. It's like, yo, I, I've been loved thoroughly. Yeah. What that's, that's the answer when we're loved. And I know Dan says it's one thing to, for someone to say, God loves you. And that's a completely other thing to be loved by God. Yeah. And 100%. you were loved by God. So listen, man, I don't want to step on the rest of the story. So just be careful with what you say right now. Okay. Um, because there's we've got some more catching up to do on this on a later pod. But since that time, since this understanding of always son, have you gone back at all or have you just been getting 
Is it just being more firmly just established in you that this is your identity? That uh, that's a softball question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> now I just yeah, want you to talk now, about what's without stepping on some of the the other stuff. Like, have yeah, you been man, crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there's a second part of the story, and like, man, bro, we we rolling on that 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 black church time, right? You know, that two, <laughs> you know, the black church pastor, he been preaching for like two, four hours. Like, man, bro, like this, this sermon is going on extra long, bro. You hey, if people are listening to this, they've chose to listen to it. And, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a tough some, it's a tough listen. <laughs> no, but there's, there's more too. There's more too. And I hope people will, um, hear the whole thing that we'll record yeah. or we'll record it pretty soon. But Yeah. How have you grown since then? Since yeah, so first understanding the truth of your identity in Christ. Yeah. Now again, so like when I was seeing myself in the scriptures and then that became a lie for me, like I believed that. And if there was a moment where I would then maybe potentially go back, right? It wouldn't be for long because what was happening was I was able to, the Holy Spirit was so alive within me that I was able to start spotting the lies about myself. Like, hmm. like, okay, you don't have to use self-deprecating humor to fit into this, like to this arena, like just be you. Um, you don't have to hmm. like any of those old things that I would try to do to be accepted and or approved. Like whenever those things are even maybe pop up recently, husband, Holy spirit, be like, yeah, no, you're good. And when I'm like, yo, I don't need you to approve of me. But I also, I, that sounds cold and callous, but the reality is that I don't need that in order to be sustained. But what I do need is to make sure that you know that you are then 100% loved, right? Hmm. Like, And that's where it's become a flip for me um, because like the gospel, this is, this is Paul. Paul was like, if I boast anything, I boast the cross. For me, the cross is everything. And that's how I'm processing like all of my interactions with people. It's like, yo, it's the cross. So because yeah. I received everything that I needed to receive at the cross, I want to, I want to tell everybody about that. So if there is a moment that I'm trying to like forget who I am, yo, it is quickly, quickly like Holy spirit will him that up real quick. Hey, you ain't, you ain't got to do that. You good. Like, I've already approved of you. I approved of you from the foundation of the world. I already approved of you. You here. Be you. Like your voice is needed in this space. The reason why I have you here is because your voice in this space will resonate. Like you have mm. a, a way of phrasing things in this particular area. Or you you can actually say some. Oh man, thank you, Holy Spirit. Listen, I have a friend who is completely MAGA Trump all day. All day, 100. <laughs> all right? I love that guy. But he and I can have really deep conversations about politics because what I'm what I've received in love, I don't have to attack his views. I don't have to actually even try to even defend my views, po politics. I don't even, I don't have to because I don't hold on to politics. I hold on to the cross. I hold on to Christ's righteousness. Mm -hmm. And then the way that mm -hmm. I want him to be seen and heard is I listen. Like I want to make sure that he is heard 
about his political views. And then when there's times, like I will drop that gospel. Hey, listen, also at the same time, like, listen, I'm not offended if you say something like this. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. What I received from Christ is so much more. I I don't have time to be offended because I need you hmm. to know that you are loved. I need you to know that. So, I mean, that's just how it's played out for me. It's how I've been processing. So I don't, there's not time for me to look back. And plus all y'all, y'all going to make sure I'm not looking back. You know, the squad, you try to have one moment of deception, a lie creep into your life. You're going to have 45 people calling you (laughs) and be like, that's a lie. (laughs) Don't do it, bro. That ain't you. That ain't you. No, man, it's a, if people didn't know you, they would think that you've been rocking this freedom for years. And it's been, you know, summer 2019, year and a half yeah. of you really understanding who you are. And I don't think it's I think it's going to change and meaning you're just going to be more established. It's more truth. <laughs> I think it's stupid stuff. I've, I'm into pop culture way too much. And the Kobe commercial where Kanye is sitting yeah. there and Kanye's like, what do you want from me, Kobe? And he's like, more, more records. He's like, what? More, more. And then he's like, what? What do you? He's like, I want you to be the same animal, but a different beast. Right. <laughs> and then he's like, Kanye's like, what the? What does that mean? Yeah. That's what I think of when, like, what the future looks like. Yeah, more freedom, mm-hmm. more blessings, more, more people getting this thing and understanding it. Just more, more of the same. Yeah. And I've seen that from you. And if this is a year and a half in of just really understanding what that gospel means, Lord have mercy. What's it going to look like a year and a half from now? I mean, I don't, I don't know, but to be honest with you, man, like, yo, it doesn't take a year. It takes literally 30 seconds. Like that freedom, like Morgan's testimony, like when she walked in freedom, like on that night with y'all, like how quickly Mer- was the turnaround? Like how quickly was the turnaround for her one-to-one ratio for somebody to be reached by the gospel? Like, and that's the thing, like, I don't want people to hear like, you know, the story and be like, oh, well, you know, I don't think I can get that. It's going to take time, whatever. Bump that. Like God's transformation isn't a lifelong, sanctification is not a lifetime process. Let's let's get rid of that. But I'm just saying just the transformation that happens in your heart, it, it, it he does it so thorough and so complete that you just receive. And as you receive, you freely give. And as you freely give, all you are doing is doing everything with open hands. Like that's it. Hmm. And so when you're talking about more, hmm. the reason why you're able to do more is because your, your, your arms are getting stronger. Like they just, it, it's, they're just getting conditioned. And so, I mean, I'm not trying to, I, all I know is, I'm me. That's mm-hmm. it. I, I I don't know how to like I'm I'm me. I'm so thoroughly happy 
in being me because he made me and I received what he's done. And because I'm me, I get to live as a son fully established in his kingdom, just being me. So, so check this out. And I think we'll kind of want to wrap up with this. Um, it is a big responsibility. I don't even know how to describe how big of a responsibility it is to be God's divine counsel here on earth, to be his image bearer. It's a big responsibility. So what do we need to do to accomplish what he has wanted us to do by being his image bearers, by being salt and being light? What do we need to do? What is our part to play? And God's like, be yourself. Be yourself. In Christ. So before being yourself, we're like, I can't be myself. Less of me, more of you. And now it's like, oh, he made me a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. I just need to be who he made me. And that's who I am. And everything will get taken care of. That huge responsibility, that burden is actually light. Mm-hmm. And me being his image bearer, well, he created me in his image. So he created me to do this. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm naturally born to do. So while it's a huge responsibility, we just have to be ourselves in him. 100%. Like, I mean, it's it's so funny, man, like, and wrap it on this, but like, I mean, you called me up and I was like, yeah, I'll do the podcast, Rich. But like honestly, man, I was getting hit with the like the lie of man, like wh- what do I have to contribute? Like I mean, my my podcast ain't gonna be as dope as we. Uh, it may not be as dope as as Lauren or like like what 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 is my story going to like? And then so then this whole comparison kicked up, and then Holy Spirit was like, "Yo, Will, just be, just 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 be, be you." And the thing about it is that is so freeing. Like that is so freeing because I don't have to say something eloquent. I don't need to drop a nugget. I don't have to do any like runoff of scriptures. Like this may be the longest podcast that you have and also be maybe the least informative for someone, but then also it's going to be the most authentic will that you've ever got to know. Why? Because I've been released of all of whatever other identity that was not mine. I've been released of that. And I get, I just got to be me. So yeah, man, dude, bro, there's a part two to this story. Somebody's like, yo, I, I, I got to go to work now. So I can't listen to the rest of this, but there is a part two of this story. So Rich, whenever you want to do that, I'm game, bro. Yeah. yeah. We might have to do it with somebody else. We might have to, I might have to do something with somebody else and then do a, a part that that will be everyone. And I think people know what I'm talking about, but yeah. bro, yeah, man. I, I love it. I love you. I love what God has done, man. And it's, when I'm doing the intros for or for the podcast, it's always the same thing. It's like God's love was revealed to this person and it's changed their lives. And I don't know how to say it other than that. I don't know how to be like, what is this story about? It's a story about how God has revealed his love to his people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. And, 
the revelation of that love has transformed their lives. And that's what it is, man. It's from death to life. And man. I see it in you. I see it in you. I, I was visiting with you, uh, like I said, a couple months ago. Man, I don't know how man, now it's a few months ago. October. But we'll talk about that in a later episode. Yeah, man. We'll talk about that in a later episode. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Man. I love you, homie. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. Hi, boss.